0: Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 39, Catherine the I to Elizabeth the I. Last week, we recounted the passing of the larger-than-life figure of Peter Alexeyevich Romanov, son of Alexis I, grandson of the first Romanov Tsar, Michael I. The man who we've followed since Episode 27, cast a shadow on his native Russia, as wide as the country was long. Those of us who love history come across people who we admire, are fascinated by, or are awed by. But Peter transcends these emotions. He was a tyrant, a beneficent man, cruel yet gentle, but never dull. i reminded of a friend who passed from this world last year, the noted nutritionist Robert Crayon. Who helped me become a not-too-shabby public speaker by telling me that the kind of speakers that were successful and he wanted for his health conferences could piss him off, could make him laugh, cry, or think. They could challenge or infuriate, but above all, they should never bore his audience. Peter Alexeyevich could have been one hell of a speaker, as his personality would certainly never bore anyone. Now, last week I said I'd recount Peter's accomplishments here, but I'd rather do that in a Slapshot episode later on this week. Because Peter had not named a successor, there was a small debate as to who was to take over as the one true ruler. The reason I say small is because, in all honesty, Catherine's claim was most obvious, as she had been lavishly crowned as Empress just a few short years before the Tsar's death. Still, a woman had not ruled over the people known as the Rus since Olga had in the 950s and 60s, some 770 years ago. On top of that, there was a somewhat legitimate heir in Alexis's young son, Peter, but there were many who were fearful of that possibility, and rightfully so, as they were complicit in the trial and execution of the boy's father, especially the now 80-plus-year-old Peter Tolstoy. Menshikov also had much to lose if the young boy were now named Tsar, and much to gain with the rise of his former servant Catherine to the head of all Russia. One other major plus on Catherine's side was one that elevated many a Caesar to the purple in Rome, and that was the backing of Russia's version of the Praetorian Guard, the Preobrasinskoy militia, who were very loyal to Peter. They were very comfortable with Catherine, as she had accompanied them to many battles over the years. She was with them at the near-disastrous Battle of Pruth, mingling with the men, giving them encouragement when things look bleakest. But all the good feelings in the world are not as powerful as a few extra rubles. Much of the army was behind in pay, which Menshikov knew could be readily exploited. Catherine promised that all back pay was to be immediately paid in full, which made her ascendancy to the throne a done deal. Galitsyn, now he had proposed that Alexis's son Peter be named Tsar and Emperor, with Catherine as regent, but the people in the upper echelon were not going to accept that, remembering the past with Sophia and the time of Ivan the Terrible's childhood. No, a strong singular ruler was what made Russia great, and there would be no turning back to the old ways. Russia's nobility and power brokers were divided into two camps. The men who came from noble, boyar stock, like Golitsyn, Tolstoy, and the Dolgerukis. And then the other side, the men who came from humble beginnings, like Menshikov and Devier. Catherine, though, was the logical choice for both camps, and she was proclaimed empress on January twenty-eighth, 1725, seven days after Peter's death. As opposed to the life of Peter, which we carried on for so many episodes, this podcast will not be spending much time with his illiterate peasant-born wife, originally named Marfa Samuilovna Skavronskaya, or as she would be known in her native Lithuania, Marta Helena Skoronska. While she was a popular monarch during her reign, most unfortunately for her, it was a very short one. She was to only last two years before illness, likely due to excessive drinking, took her life. But still, the real ruler, one most unpopular and deeply mistrusted, especially by the old guard, was Peter's friend, Alexander Menshikov. Before we go into her rule, let's talk about her humble beginnings. She was supposedly born in the small village of Vishki, in the Swedish-controlled province of Livonia. Her father, Samuel, was a Lithuanian peasant of Polish origin. Her mother, Elizabeth, along with her father, died of the plague in 1689, when she was a mere five years old. Catherine was raised by a Lutheran pastor, Johann Ernst Gluck, where she basically served as a housemaid. Marfa was married to a Swedish dragoon, but when the Russians captured the fort where her husband was stationed, she was taken to the home of Field Marshal Boris Shermetev to serve his maid there is anecdotal evidence that she was subsequently sold as a serf to alexander menshikov but still that didn't matter this is where peter first laid eyes on the young woman who many said were was quite beautiful although there are some conflicting accounts of her beauty whatever the case peter was enamored of her and took her as his mistress in 1705 she had converted to russian orthodoxy and took the name Ekaterina Alexevna. By 1707, she was married to Peter in a secret ceremony, and over the years she begat nine children, of which only one survived her, Elizabeth, who would serve Russia as empress. Her other daughter, Anna Petrovna, would give birth to a child, who would later become Peter III. Catherine was Tsar Peter's constant companion, traveling with him on a number of campaigns. She was to be a block of granite when things were tough, especially at the Battle of Pruth in 1711. Because of this, Peter decided to marry her openly on February eighth, 1712. Following Peter's death, she became empress in name, but as I mentioned earlier, the real power lay in the hands of Menshikov along with the Supreme Privy Council. Members of the council, aside from the aforementioned Menshikov, were Fyodor Apraksin. Gavrila Golovkin, Andrei Osterman, Peter Tolstoy, and Dmitri Galitsyn. Several months later, Catherine's son-in-law, Karl Frederick, Duke of holstein gottorp also joined the council. These were the men who truly ran the country, but Menshikov dominated the council because of their underlying fear of him due to his web of contacts. One of the main programs that Catherine wanted to have put into place was a reduction of the number of standing troops that drained the treasury of Russia. It is estimated that 65% of the cost of running the government was due to military expenditures. Since Russia was now extensively at peace, this was made easier to accomplish. She also wanted the taxes to be lower to the peasant population, something that made her somewhat legendary amongst the people. But without the Privy Council's approval, this wouldn't have been accomplished. They saw her as a powerful window dressing. But if the people made her more popular, then by proxy, so were they. There's little else to say about the rule of Catherine, as by 1727, on May 17th, she died. Regardless of her lack of tenure as a tsarina or empress, she laid the groundwork for her daughter Elizabeth, Anna, and her namesake, Catherine II, or Catherine the Great, to assume power in the coming years. Before Catherine died, the Privy Council saw which way the wind was blowing, and maneuvered to back the son of Alexei, Peter II. This young man, whose reign began on February 18, 1727, and ended only two years and 257 days later, would be the last direct male descendant of Michael Romanov. The problem surrounding the new tsar, though, was he was only 12 years of age when he ascended the throne. Menshikov was utterly domineering and was feared by many on the same scale as his late friend, Peter the Great. He treated the young tsar as almost a vassal, bullying him around at his whim. But Menshikov fell ill for a period in 1727, and during his absence, a virtual palace coup took place. When he returned to the palace, Peter turned his back on him and had him arrested on September 21st. The young Tsar said, you see, I'm at last learning how to keep him in order. Menshikov, the wealthiest for an, and for a time the most powerful man in all of Russia, was sent to live out his life in the harshest of conditions, with his family stripped of all his wealth to die just a couple of years later in total poverty. Peter the Second now was to be betrothed to the daughter of his new keeper, Juan Vasily Dolgieruki. Catherine was to be his bride, with the wedding being held on January thirtieth, seventeen thirty. The only problem with Dolgieruki's plan was the fact that the young Peter, now fourteen, contracted smallpox and died on the day he was to be wed. Now the Privy Council turned to the next in line for the crown. Ivan V's daughter, Peter the Great's niece, Anna Ivanovna, who was Duchess of Corland and had by that time become fully Germanized, much to the chagrin of many of the old-time Russians. The person who was most influential in putting Anna over Elizabeth, Peter I's daughter, who Catherine I had deemed to be the proper person to be next in line after her, was Dmitry Golitsyn. Golitsyn, along with Dolge Ruki, had put together a list of conditions for Anna's rule. In it, they said she could not marry, nor designate a successor, stop or start a war, raise taxes, or basically do anything aside from sit on the throne. Their idea was to put together a constitutional monarchy. This was to be a bad idea for the galitzin dolgoruki Privy Council Circle, as many outside that group saw a dangerous precedent being set as they preferred a single ruler rather than a council. A delegation of those opposed to the list of conditions, which Anna had signed, was sent to her and convinced the Tsarina to tear up the agreement, which she did, much to the the shock of the supreme privy council. Anna quickly reshuffled the council, putting in men of her choosing, who, for the most part, were Germans like Andre Osterman, Burchard Munich, R.G. Loenwold and Ernst Johann Byron. The last person, Byron, was thought to be Anna's lover, which is somewhat in dispute, but whatever the case, he replaced Menshikov as the most powerful man in all of Russia. Anna was oftentimes considered to be a cruel ruler. She strengthened the secret chancellery, which was basically a secret police, to uncover any plots against the crown that Sarina used the police to torture, execute, and banish anyone who she saw as a threat or just annoyed her. She put people like the Dolge Dmitri Dmitry Golitsyn, and Artemy Volinsky on trial, with the latter having his, to- his tongue torn out for saying unflattering things about Anna. Another thing Anna tried to do was have her father's line of succession take precedence over Peter's line of the Romanovs. She ordered that if she were to remain childless, that any child of her niece, Anna Leopoldovna, would be next in line. This basically would have pushed the Roman line out of the way, replacing it with the Brunswick's, as Anna Leopoldovna was married off to the Duke Anton Ulrich of Brunswick. To add insult to injury to the Russian people, the Duke was a Protestant with no intent to convert to orthodoxy. Anna's ten-year reign has been looked upon by history as a dark spot on the list of the Romanovs. She was considered to be an obese, uncaring, and generally a poor ruler. Like her cousin Elizabeth, she was a lavish spender who saw the court as a way to show off her expensive dresses and jewelry. Anna started the precedence of having an extravagant court, which would haunt the Romanovs until the overthrow of the government in 1917. The empress was unlike her predecessors in so many ways. She hated the Russians and the Russian people, and they hated her right back. In 1714, excuse me, August 1740, Empress Anna's niece gave birth to a boy, Ivan Antonovich, the next in line to the throne of Russia. Anna's health was deteriorating rapidly, so she signed an order that Byron was to the young boy's regent when she died on october 17th 1740 she passed away likely from kidney disease within days though byron was arrested by orders from munich anna leopoldovna was named regent this frightened many of the russians in the court as they became aware of a plot to make anna empress in case the young boy were to die which was likely given the high rate of infant mortality elizabeth Peter the Great's only remaining living child took this opportunity to strike and take her place on the throne. She carefully accompanied members of her father's pre regiment to order the arrest of Anna, her husband, and the baby emperor on November 25th of 1741. Elizabeth took control of the government with some help from the Swedish and French ambassadors, who were under the impression that the newly crowned empress would restore lost land back to Sweden. This was pretty much a grand miscalculation on their part. Quickly, Munich and Osterman were banished to Siberia, and many of those Germans installed in power by Anna were simply thrown out. Next week, we review the 20-year reign of the daughter of Peter the Great, Elizabeth, and her heir, the much-despised Peter III. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of February 27th through March 5th. In 1303, Daniel of Moscow, a Russian saint, Grand Prince of Muscovy, died at the age of 42. In 1617, Sweden and Russia signed the Treaty of Stolbovo, ending the Ingrian War and shutting Russia out of the Baltic Sea. In 1852, Nikolai Vasilievich Gogol, the great Russian writer, died. Nicholas I of Russia in 1855 died, closely followed by the ascension of Alexander II, who became Tsar of Russia. In 1861, that Tsar, Alexander II, signed the Emancipation Manifesto, freeing the serfs. In 1904, in the Russo-Japanese War, Russian troops in Korea retreat toward Manchuria, followed by 100,000 Japanese troops. In 1905, Tsar Nicholas II of Russia agreed to create an elected assembly, the Duma. In 1918, we had Germany, Austria, and Russia signing the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, ending Russia's involvement in World War I, and leading to the independence of Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland. In 1926, Svetlana Aleluyeva, Soviet defector and daughter of Joseph Stalin, is born. In 1931, Mikhail Gorbachev, Soviet Nobel laureate and statesman, was born. In 1936, Ivan Pavlov, Russian psychologist, recipient of the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine, died. In 1940, members of the Soviet Politburo signed an order for the execution of 25,700 Polish intelligentsia, including 14,700 Polish POWs, now known as the Katyn Massacre. In 1953, Joseph Stalin, Georgian leader of the Soviet Union, died at the age of 75. And, in 1969, Soviet and Chinese forces clashed at a border outpost on the Yusuri River. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, please don't forget to visit the website, russianrulers.podhoster.com, or become a friend at Facebook at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Leave a comment, make a suggestion, ask a question, or correct me if you can. And as always, das свидания Bolshoya.